Hello, everybody. I thought I'd uh, talk about uh, time travel and uh, all of that good stuff. And it, it's about how time travel can or should be written, etc., etc., etc. So, the first problem that you have to deal with when you're dealing with time travel is whether or not time is created by particles like chronotons, right? Um, which means that if you get rid of the particles, time stops. Or if you're going to deal with time as an ever persistent existence. Now, a lot of people get confused uh, in terms of uh, an ever-persistent existence. Basically, it's like many physicists have said, time is actually a dimension. Uh, you know, the first dimension is something uh, without substance. It's the existence without substance is essentially the first dimension. And often we represent that by drawing a line, a straight line on a piece of paper. The second dimension is existence with two-dimensional substance, or I say two-dimensional substance, but uh, with substance um, times two, essentially. So instead of a line, you have height and, uh, and width, or height and length. Uh, I, I think, you know, it's height and length is really oftentimes the same thing uh, you know it's, these words can be used interchangeably basically you, you have a you know an x-axis and a y-axis but you have no other form of existence so a lot of people draw you know say cartoons essentially are a two-dimensional world and yet they're able to communicate almost in three dimensions like there is a uh, z-axis that we cannot interact with right so we absolutely cannot interact with the first dimension because there's only existence in the first dimension although if you lived in the first dimension you would be able to interact with anything else um, a lot of people like to describe the first dimension as the dimension of thought and the second dimension is essentially thought and observance you know, uh, other dimensions can observe it. Third dimension is basically how we interact physically. You know, it's, it's matter, thought, uh, and existence. Fourth dimension uh, in this term is just being able to separate one event from another. All events are transitory. So it's a transitory state. Without time, you have an intransitory state. Nothing moves, nothing nothing changes. Uh, or everything ha now there are two thoughts here. Without time either nothing moves and nothing changes or without time everything happens at once. Einstein was of the belief that without time everything happens at once. 
Well, what if there were three dimensions? One is nothing happens, everything is static. With time, things happen in an order. Uh, you know, that's then you have the third dimension of time, which is everything happens at once. Or maybe it's backwards. Maybe nothing happens, everything happens, and then everything happens in an order. Who knows? Some of these forms of existence, uh, a lot of physicists believe, cannot exist. Like, you can't have everything happening at once, uh, just as you can't have nothing happen at all. And, uh, but I don't know. I, nobody's ever tested that. Nobody's ever communicated on that level or received any information on that level with those forms of dimensions. And there may indeed be more dimensions of time than we know of. Just like there are more dimensions of physicality that we uh, don't know of. Now, there are those who believe that thought, the first dimension, the dimension of thought, existence without substance, uh, can be communicated through other mediums, right? Like maybe that's what ghosts are. And then there are other people who believe that uh, is second dimension, similar issue. Uh, who, who fucking knows, right? Um, as far as the fourth dimension, fourth dimension is... Uh, imagine another access, right? Uh, on the thing, where, where you're able to... You know, you're, you're basically living in an Escher painting where things are as... They modify as they are perceived. Or maybe that's the fifth dimension. It depends on people's arguments. Um, and, I mean, if you decide to say that time, the existence of time, is the fourth dimension, then we live in a fourth dimensional universe right now. Uh, there are a lot of arguments on how to place these dimensions. I think that many of them are parallel to each other, uh, possible with the possibility of lateral movement. So, lateral movement and parallel movement is uh, exactly a major deal with time. Because you have a lot of people talking about uh, time streams. Using this method of time is ever persistent, then it's like a stream. So what you have to decide, you know, I mean, with the chronoton thing, I'm sorry, uh, you have to decide wh which one you're going to choose. You're going, are you going to choose like the chronoton thing or um, a persistent uh, existence? With the chronoton theme, uh, it, it's really easy to just say, this is time travel, we bombard you with rays like radiation and you bounce all over the place. And, uh, you know, uh, if we... Put negatives, you know, polarize uh, the chronotons, you'll travel backwards in time, or you will actually de age or increase in age. And uh, in uh, Avengers uh, Endgame, they mix the two, right? 
uh, they control the time stream as if it's chronot chronotons, <laughs> and and the Hulk uh, ages and de-ages and kind of really, f uh, you know, de-evolves and re-evolves uh, Ant-Man. It's uh, Scott Lang. It's pretty, it's pretty funny. And of course, you had um, uh, Tony Stark come in saying, "Well, instead of having him travel through time, you had time travel through him." You know, easy mistake to make. Anybody could do it. Anybody can make that mistake, except for me. And uh, I think that's what he said. I'm trying to remember what he said. It's been it's been a while. That was a very funny moment in the movie. So. When you're dealing with an ever persistent time or a uh, time stream or you know variations, uh, you have to think of all of the variations of ever persistent. Like time stream is one of them. The theory of times of a time stream is back to the future. All right, where even when you're t traveling back in time, the stream will flow through. Uh, your circle of movement, right? So you see Marty McFly start to dissipate and then his family kisses. And so the time wave, which is going back in time and following or going traveling through time and following his movements, um, uh, stops and it reverses. And then when it reverses, it corrects everything to be the new, uh, the new history, right? So time streams are, are always flowing, and they are not subject to paradoxes. And they're not subject to paradoxes because a time stream doesn't give a shit about a paradox. <laughs> you know, uh, then you have the timelines, which are not the same as time streams. Timelines are like you would write in a history book. This happened here, this happened here, this ha happened here. Everything has to happen before the other. And the reason that's different than a time stream is that the time stream from the beginning to the end, it might even be circular, from the beginning to the end, the time stream is like a stream in a river. And streams are always changing. You know, if you go to the stream at the mouth of the mirror, you're going to see a bunch of little changes happen all the time. Maybe it gets bigger, maybe it gets strong, smaller, maybe it dries up for a little while, maybe it uh, overflows. And down at the bottom... It's affected by those changes at the mouth, uh, but it doesn't really care. And uh, a, a great way to describe this is the cycle of evaporation. So going back to change the time stream, you know, going back to the origin of the time stream, let's so say you have a mouth like a stream in the river, uh, and, uh, or, or, you know, the, the mouth and head or whatever, however you want to talk about it. The, the origin point of the stream and, uh, and the end point, right? The mouth, right? Okay, so it travels from at the top of the mountain all the way down to the bottom, empties into the ocean. It evaporates. Water goes back and dumps it on the mountain again where the stream is refreshed. Well, time travel in that sense, kind of like the back to the future, would be like he evaporated himself out of the river, brought himself back into time, deposited himself, and then he changes the flow of that stream. Because he evaporated and, and flowed, you know, because there's that circle of life, circle of evaporation, and 
you know, condensation and all that good stuff, it's not a paradox because everything is in full motion. And time, the time stream itself doesn't really give a shit about the events uh, so much in the time stream, uh, just whether or not it, it works when it dumps itself into the ocean. So think about it like that. Now, the timeline thing, timeline theory, which is what a lot of modern time travel theories try to go after because they said, well, it's only to prevent paradoxes, right? You got people who are so obsessed with paradoxes, the same people who don't realize that a joke is a paradox, and if you tell a joke to a computer and tell the computer to analyze it, the computer will fry, you know? Um, jokes are the same thing as giving them, like, uh, this sentence is false, right? I described that in my AI discussion. Um, in fact, I, I'll go into that in the, in the next thing. I'll, I'll repeat my AI, you know, parts of my AI discussion in my next podcast. So uh, the timeline issue is everything has to happen in order because of, you know, thing Y cannot happen if thing X does not happen. Or if thing X is influenced, then thing Y cannot exist. The best way to describe this is not Marvel, because they kind of sort of fuck that one up too. It's uh, Terminator 2. Or Terminator series. And someone went over how the timeline corrects itself in the Terminator series. The Terminator series, as I stated before in my discussion of Terminator is not on the same timeline right now. They're down to, like, nobody knows how many, uh, I mean, minimum, if you count the movies, like the seventh timeline. But there's some theories that Terminator may actually be up to timeline number 20. And now the timelines uh, have one of two potentials. Either they are aborted when there's a break in the timeline, which means they abruptly end, uh, and everything shifts, or once you create a different timeline, both timelines now exist in, in, in for a possibility of infinity timelines. Now, there are physicists that say you can't have infinity of anything because it would overload the information in the universe. I say the universe isn't a fucking computer. And if the timelines uh, are ever-present... They may be like the dimension of thought, or maybe the dimension of thought commands everything. In which case, an inf a number of infinite anything is required, not just impossible. I mean, not just possible, and certainly not impossible, uh, but absolutely required. And the idea with the timeline is, when somebody flips a coin, the moment that coin is... Oh, wait. If somebody is deciding to flip a coin, if they have a decision to make, every decision creates a new timeline. Sometimes those timelines diverge only for uh, a millisecond, you know, essentially. Sometimes they, they only diverge for a certain amount of time. And, uh, you know, people, a, a person's individual timeline may be created 
in terms of memory and in terms of existence while remaining on the same timeline. So let's say I'm all alone and I think I'm going to decide to flip a coin or I'm presented with a question for which I need a decision. I make the decision whether or not I'm going to flip a coin. So that's one timeline split. I flip the coin, that's another timeline split. Now, I could decide to ignore the coin toss, to accept the coin toss, or however the coin functions. Could be a dozen different timeline splits. And then whether or not the coin comes up heads or tails is another timeline split on that. So me deciding, what, me when presented with uh, a decision to make, creates hundreds if not thousands of split timelines. Now either uh, they split my personal timeline, if it doesn't affect anyone else in the universe, and just my memory, then maybe my own personal timeline is split. While all of my different selves, just with a different memory, exist on the exact same timeline that's moving forward. Or that all of these major timelines are split millions and millions and millions of timelines. All because I'm deciding whether or not to flip a coin. Or making any sort of decision whatsoever. And essentially what you're creating is um, a bunch of noise, a bunch of static, a bunch of noise in terms of time. Now, whether or not it's integral or important to the perpetuation of the timeline is immaterial. And whether or not these millions of splits are part of one timeline or millions of timelines, of personal timelines, group timelines, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, I, you know, that's, that's up to the writer to decide. And that's also something that physicists are having issues with. Now, if you think of this type of timeline situation, uh, kind of like a brain or, or, or a computer where memory addresses are created, then it is entirely possible to have an infinite number of, of timelines, of splits. Because then you're just accessing, it's like you're accessing different portions of the universe. So the timeline isn't really a physical thing so much as it is a pathway through all of the decisions and all of the effects and everything else that has occurred or will occur. With this type of setup, you can have both fate and, a, you know, a pre destined in fate aka a predestined uh, timeline or ending as well as the ability for people to choose their own destiny if they recognize the paths and travel certain paths at certain times it's kind of like hacking the system so they escape fate fate would be uh, the paths that are available most easily or readily to those or you know entities or whatever that are traveling through so when the Greeks made the 
tapestry of time, that's sort of what they were doing. It's like they were making a circuit board or a, uh, a processor, right? Maybe they're referencing something like that. And every little thread can pass through in different ways. You know? You could have knots, you could have uh, bow ties, you could have whatever the fuck you want. And if you knew how to jump the loom, then you make your own destiny, right? So you can organize it that way. And when you deal with time travel, it, think about it as uh, going through different sections or whatever. So Marvel has sort of done the timeline thing. Now the issue with create uh, timelines can uh, do not harbor paradoxes. If you travel back in time to change how things ended up, you're not actually traveling back in time. You are, uh, unless it was predestined that you travel back in time. So it'd be like changing threads on the loom, right? Maybe the threads split and uh, one thread travels back in time and the rest go forward. Kind of like the Flash turn, uh, giving himself his own powers. It's essentially what DC did. Uh, so they predestined uh, everything that happened by creating a circular uh, progression. Now that's one way to handle paradox. The other way is uh, when you change a timeline, the future timeline evaporates and is replaced with a new one. And the third way is when you change the timeline, a brand new uh, timeline appears. And one way uh, to describe that is, uh, one good example is Fantastic Four, when Ben Grimm goes back in time to give himself a cure so he isn't the thing. He thought he fixed it for his timeline. And then Reed Richards comes in and says, Ben, I told you, you can't do it. And I tried to explain why, but you didn't listen. He said, it, it, you can't go back in time to change it. You just jumped the timelines. Because Ben thought that Richards was holding out on him and was forcing him to be the thing for the group. And so Ben realized, oh shit. I guess Reed really does give a shit about me. And uh, I may have fucked everything up. So then Ben Grimm goes back in time like a few months later and finds out that the Silver Surfer didn't exist in that alternate timeline. And Galactus wiped out all of the heroes. But because Ben Grimm wasn't a hero, he was left there to uh, take charge and help the humans rebuild uh, their desiccated uh, Earth and their civilization. So... Ben Grimm jumping timelines actually may have saved human lives or in the other timeline because the Silver Surfer wasn't there. He didn't change, he didn't change uh, allegiances to help fight off Galactus um, and on and on and on. Now, uh, when a timeline uh, is changed, you know, let's say it deletes the future timeline, there's usually some other explanation for why that was allowed to happen. 
either the timeline is self-repairing or people have memories of both timelines or uh, those memories are all wiped out and then even the interference of the person going back in time is wiped and somehow everything changes so somebody had made a different decision. Um, one such uh, example of uh, everything being wiped out or somebody making a different decision and completely wiping out that timeline would be stories like uh, you know, DuckTales. Um, because in DuckTales, the series, the original series, they had a genie uh, episode, and uh, I forget who, I just watched it, I forget who, <laughs> who did it, but one of them made the wish of, I wish we would have never found this lamp. So, if I recall correctly, the genie actually remembers that he had to grant that wish, but what happens is it goes back in time, and something changes with how uh, the lamp has been covered up, so they don't find the lamp. I'm sure that you've seen stories like that. So it's like the timeline loop or that exists is all in that genie's mind or his memory because he experienced it, but it is no longer there for anyone else to experience. And then finally, this, is, this next one is probably the most um, accurate way of handling time travel. And it's something that Star Trek experiments with a lot. Having shielding that essentially creates a bubble of time within what, however time is created, whether it's a timeline, time stream, uh, or chronotom particles. Whichever method you're using, um, or, you know, like ever-persistent time, and ever-persistent time, um, it's just that it exists, period. There's no stream, there's no movement, there's no anything, just really just exists, right? The bubble essentially removes, you know, the, the shielded bubble of time within time, removes the person from time, from the dimension of time, period removes them and once they're removed they can move and react and affect anything in the existence of time whether it's a, a stream a line uh, chronotom particles or just a dimension of time they can affect anything in those points of existence to alter time without fearing any repercussions because they are in their own time existence. Now, in order for this to happen from a physics perspective, somehow they have to be anchored to the existence of time, whether they're anchored to the timeline or, or whatever. Otherwise, once you're removed from, from time, you are removed, period. You have no relationship with that dimension. You have no relationship with where you are. You are suddenly in your own dimension and in your own creation. So somehow they have to stay anchored. So the anchor point is usually the shield that protects them from the effects of time. As the shield has to be attuned to the, that particular dimension of time, right? It has to have the right frequency. And so when, they are, when the shield is removed, the people are inside the time stream or whatever line or whatever, they can do whatever they want 
It ha but because their physical connection was severed from that existence, uh, they are not going to be affected by any sort of time wave or anything else. That's basically how Star Trek functions the majority of the time. Uh, and yet, Star Trek still dealt with chroniton particles in Deep Space Nine. Uh, so maybe chroniton particles, instead of being controlling time, are simply a reflection of time travel having occurred, right? So you could mix the different aspects of time travel and whatnot. The biggest issue with time travel is that you're always going to have know-it-all physicists saying, that's impossible because you create a paradox which you can't resolve. Yeah, that's bullshit. Um, paradoxes exist all over in, uh, in physics, in math, in everything else. Uh, mostly because the math of the universe is not base 10. And yet all of our modern sciences are based on base 10. The ma math of the universe is not base imperial. And yet we've got a lot of our original math was based in imperial. Uh, you also have Mayan math systems. You have Egyptian. You have um, Roman. None of these math systems match how the universe functions. If they did, there would be no such thing as an irrational number. Irrational numbers serve to remind humanity that humanity does not use the counting system, the math system, that the universe uses. And people have tried to perfect this over and over. They've tried to perfect it based off of the movement of an electron or a proton around an atom. And you fucking can't because it constantly changes. Different atoms have different uh, functions. Uh, this, you know, different sizes, etc., etc., etc. The space between the atom and the protons, neutrons, electrons, or whatever, uh, all, all of these molecules, all these atomic structures, uh, they, there's no perfect atomic structure. If there was, there would be no such thing as atomic decay. And yet there is. That's because atoms are not perfect in their structure. They are not the universe's um, you know, counting system. And yet that's what the universe is made out of. Atoms will decay, and then for whatever reason, there are times where atoms just attract each other, create new substances. You know? So, whenever a physicist says that, just say, you're full of shit. You can't prove it. But, at the same time, at the same time, there are writers who violate their own fucking rules. And a writer who violates its own, his or her own rules may actually unwittingly create a paradox within their rules that they haven't resolved. So, it's a lot easier to just say, for whatever reason, this machine travels through time. It's better to deal with that being a deus ex machina type of thing, 
<laughs> you know, or just a, a machine of the gods. You know, um, you know, God by machine means more than just fixing a broken storyline. God by machine means the machine has the power of the gods. It's it's an unknown power, power from um, from something that you don't see. And let me make sure that you guys understand this. The term Deus Ex Machina referred to the machinery used behind the set to bring the god to life who would then, you know, on the set, who would then say, okay, you, you two aren't supposed to be together. He's supposed to be together here and he's supposed to be together there. It's not un the unseen hand. The unseen hand is when you don't see the function of the god, but you see the effect of the god. Okay, these are two completely different concepts. A lot of people don't understand that they are not the same concept. So, God by machine is you have a physical representation, essentially a God or a God power, that is controlled or dominated by rules that are left behind the set. The DeLorean is a deus ex machina. You see the DeLorean. You say, oh my God, that's an awesome machine. It has the power to change time. You are told that it has a machine element or rules that govern the DeLorean from Back to the Future, but you're never told what it does. You're told how to get it started, 88 miles per hour, to power the flux capacitor, which then essentially creates a bubble around the car that sends it back to the future, right? So that's a deus ex machina. An unseen hand would be when Marty's starting to disappear, when it, or when his sister and his brother are disappearing, and then when he starts to disappear. That's the effect of the unseen hand. Something unseen and unknown is changing the future. And it's, it, it, those are the effects of, you know, uh, Marty McFly having been uh, rescued instead of his dad by Lorraine, right? So that's like the unseen hand, where it's the ripple wave effect going through time, time to wipe things out or readjust things. And of course, when Marty goes back to the future, the unseen hand had actually made Marty's life better. Although there are consequences down the road uh, that demand that he go to the future. So that's Deus Ex Machina and Unseen Hand Explained. And uh, you, the H.G. Wells time machine would be the time machine that uh, appears to be in a predestined loop. Right, It was destiny that had him create the machine, and his destiny that uh, he don't dare, because apparently he's not able to modify uh, whether or not the wars happen. Uh, but by moving his, his machine, he moves the anchor point, and he goes to the future in order to assist the Eloy in rebuilding... Uh, their society and building a new future of humanity 
because you know by moving his anchor point, he is no longer inside the mouth of the cave. And uh, oh yeah, anchor points. As I said before, anchor points keep the time traveler attached to the timeline, but uh, you can also have anchor points that keep them attached to positions on Earth. As, don't forget, when you travel in time, the Earth's traveling in time too. If you go back six months, unless your time machine is, has an anchor point uh, or the ability to anchor to uh, the Earth, if you travel back in time six months, the Earth's going to be on the other side of the sun and you're going to be in the middle of space and you could die. Uh, in fact, the sun is also, our entire solar system is actually moving too. You know, a lot of people don't realize that, but the solar system is part of a giant pinwheel called the Milky Way galaxy, right? We're toward the end of the Milky Way or edge of the Milky Way galaxy. So not only is the Earth traveling around the sun, our entire solar system, which is anchored to the sun's gravitational pull, is traveling around the Milky Way galaxy because the solar system, the sun, uh, which is the center of our, um, you know, gravitational pool of planets and asteroids, our sun is anchored to the gravitational pool of the greater Milky Way. It's like the smaller the object to the next related larger gravitational um, entity we're attracted to, and the bigger you go, the next, you know, the next largest um, body of gravitational pull we're anchored to, etc., etc., etc. So it would be interesting to have somebody try to travel back in time and wind up on an alien spaceship because they didn't create an anchor point. Or maybe they calculated out, I'm going to travel back in time or forwarded in time this many months, years, and hours to appear on the planet Mars because that's when, that's how long it will take for the solar system to move and for the planet Mars to uh, enter this particular piece of space or maybe an asteroid or something like that that would be an interesting story nobody ever really thinks about that now finally uh one other one last thing about about time travel when you travel through time it's like an airplane traveling through the air uh, I didn't ever really think about this because I never really thought about lift and velocity versus weight and drag. And, you know, which is something that has, you know, been the core of avian, avian uh, aviation ever since aviation was dreamed about. See, when you travel in a plane, and I, I actually had to watch uh, the Mythbusters. You know, Adam explains on on YouTube. I had to watch it to understand. Oh yeah, that's right. And even pilots get this wrong. A plane does not need to travel on the ground in order to take flight. A plane just needs to create lift, more lift than drag. Because a plane is traveling through the air. Propellers 
don't care about the friction on the ground. Propellers care about the movement of the air. Period. Now, um, you know, there is some truth to needing to build up speed to get the lift up. Okay. You know, like uh, uh, a kite. You have to, you know, if it's a glider. And it has no power beneath it. Well, the speed pulling the kite through the air is the power that creates the, uh, uh, the lift. But if you're standing still, you don't necessarily need to run. If you're standing still and you've got a little bit of lift from a breeze, you pull the kite up with the string. It catches the lift and the power, you know, with that power. And it didn't touch the ground once. So when the Mythbusters did that thing of the airplane um, generating uh, lift and you know through power going over a giant um, uh, you know like tr treadmill or, or whatever you call those things, um, I just call them moving floors. <laughs> I'm real intelligent. I, I call them moving floors. That's dang moving floors. Okay, so um, I'm sorry. I participated in a southern stereotype. Uh, and, you know, that southerners are stupid. They're, you know, sorry about that. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. I'm not suggesting that. Uh, so the, uh, you know, the, the <laughs> giant, whatever the fuck things those are called, uh, roly walkie things. Uh, <laughs> The, uh, the plane took off because of the movement of the engine, you know, the air movement, the airspeed, it picked up the airspeed and even basically standing still, the plane, uh, got enough, uh, power in the engine to pull the plane up through the air because the propellers are pulling the plane through the air. The propellers are not pulling the plane along the ground. There's no, the ground friction has no relationship to the plane other than to uh, allow the plane to move forward on wheels. Uh, the plane's propellers are what pull the plane up into the air because the propellers are really powerful. They're moving really fast. They're creating a gust of air that builds up right underneath the plane and that, that air then expands and that's the lift that pushes the plane up and the plane just takes off. So remember that the friction value, the movement value is the air itself. The ground is immaterial. Ground has nothing to do with it. Same thing with the DeLorean. The DeLorean needed to go up to 88 miles per hour just to provide the power needed by the flux capacitor, you know, through the movement of the axles, through the pumping of the engine. So the flux capacitor could uh, power up, you know, it's kind of like you sitting on a, on a bike, uh, on a stationary bike pumping the uh, the wheels to charge the battery on your phone. Let's say you have a, or, or a little light bulb that's attached to the, uh, uh, the wheels on the stationary bike. That's what was going on with the flux capacitor. The flux capacitor 
gave zero shits about whether or not the, um, the car was on the road. As is proven at the end of the movie, when the car, you know, when, when Doc Brown says roads, where we're going, we don't need roads. That's because the flux capacitor doesn't care if you have a road or not. You know, and the movement of the car is probably just because of how the, uh, uh, the engine and the axles were designed and maybe, uh, you know, you needed some sort of, of uh, function in that regard. So just sticking the car in neutral and revving up the RPMs wasn't enough. You know, you needed more mechanical function, functionality going on in there. Um, and that's, that's true with, uh, you know, at the end, because he got a total engine upgrade. And when he flies up into the air, he's preparing for takeoff to stay stationary in the air. And he zips on through, uh, you know, to the air to travel through time. You know, he, he powers the engine up and, you know, he, he travels through air to make sure that he's flying when they come out of, of the time distortion. But he probably didn't even need to, at that point when he was flying in the air, he probably didn't even need to move forward. He probably could have traveled forward or backward in time just by hovering, you know? So uh, just keep that in mind. Like an airplane, the friction value is not, uh, is not provided by the ground. You know, H.G. Uh, Wells' time machine. That time machine traveled through time, not across the land. That would be called a land machine or a land rover, right? It wasn't a land rover, it was a time rover, Okay. And, uh, you know, more proof and more examples of that are seeing all the variations of uh, airplanes and gliders. As, you know, submarines, they don't travel through land. They travel through water. You have to have a special engine to do that. You know, uh, jet skis, they use water to travel over water. <laughs> uh, you know, they don't which is also like almost like half through air, half through water. Anyway, uh, so yeah, those are all of the ideas and notes on time machines and time travel. And that's how everything functions. Just remember, if you're consistent with how time travel works, then those are the laws of physics and how time functions. As of now, we have no understanding of how the dimensions relate to each other. We're basically barely able to understand the third dimension. We're trying to understand the fourth dimension, yet fourth dimensional math is still fucked, right? They call it fourth dimensions. I think they're in different dimensions right now as it is. People claim that they have 12th dimensional math to explain how a 12th dimension can exist. But they don't actually know how it functions. Nobody really knows how time functions, except as of now, humanity and the rest of the universe is moving forward in time just by existing. That's the only thing we know about it. And even Stephen Hawking, who has tried to explain time, has, you know, up until the day he died, 
he was revising his papers and his explanation of time because nothing that he created could survive black holes. Nothing. And then finally, like right before he died, within a year, within a year or two before he died, he said, we do not know how time exists or functions. That pissed off a lot of physicists. But he was right. Was, and he, and he put, produced a paper with a math that said, by all rights, according to our physics, time shouldn't exist. But it does exist. So we obviously don't know how to measure time or how to prove it exists, other than the fact that we're moving through it. It's basically, basically a summary of what he said. And a lot of physicists try to spin it to say, well, we actually do know what he really said. No, no, no. What he said was, you guys don't have a fucking clue. <laughs> you know, I wish that Stephen Hawking would have actually used those words. You do not have a fucking clue. Um, we don't have a fucking clue. I will say one thing, though. The idea, I am glad that he did say, I am glad that he confirmed this. Black holes do not uh, stop time. As he finally came upon that realization. And I've tried to explain this to physicists before, because they say, well, this math shows this, this, and this, and Einstein said that you would be tra time traveling and you'd be seeing yourself if you, if you uh, traveled at light speed, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, no, all of that is fucking wrong. Black holes prove that atomic structures or the effects of time basically sort of cease. Like essentially, uh, the atomic structures are suspended. Time is still running as normal, but the atomic structures don't function. It's everything about those very, very powerful atomic particles, the same particles that created one or more big bangs, as there's evidence that there was a bang before, you know, a big bang before the big bang, those atomic structures cease to operate and cease to function because of the intense gravitational weight that disrupts everything on a molecular, atomic, subatomic level. So the gravity is still functioning, which means time exists. The fact that the atomic structures and subatomic structures no longer function doesn't mean time doesn't exist. It means that gravity has overwhelmed the quote-unquote most powerful uh, objects in the universe. And so that's point number one. Point number two, traveling at light speed. Traveling at light speed does not mean you're traveling through time. The idea that you see a reflection of yourself, the idea that you would be sitting beside yourself or you see uh, an image of yourself from behind does not mean that time, it, you, there's time travel involved. 
you're simply seeing a delayed image of light getting back to your eyes because you're traveling at the same speed as the light which is trying to tell you what happened several seconds before you took around and looked at where you were. It's like taking a Polaroid and you, you know, you're traveling faster than the Polaroid is developing. Then the Polaroid develops and you see that moment in time, right? So that's, you know, that needs to be fully understood here because a lot of physics students say time is the ultimate speed limit blah 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 they go on and on they repeat crap from Neil deGrasse Tyson and um, that's not what Einstein said and theory uh, his theory of special relativity explicitly states time is not the fastest speed in the universe uh, but that theory of special relativity was more or less a a proof of an observance of what must exist, not proof of how it exists. So a lot of physicists disregard the theory of special relativity. It's like somebody saying, okay, I have no idea how to measure air, but I know air exists because I'm breathing it. Right? It's basically sort of what Einstein was saying with theory of special relativity was, okay, well, obviously... You know, all my math here suggests that something actually has to go faster than light, uh, but uh, I don't know the math to prove it. And when he was talking about uh, light and quote-unquote time travel or whatever in the in theory of relativity, he was saying it will appear to the observer that this is what's happening. He never said this is what's happening. And the difference between saying something appears as if it's happening and this is what's happening is night and day. And all of that deals with time travel. All of it. And uh, anyway, so uh, 55 minutes talking about time travel. And I think I got everything out that I could get out. I've described every form of current theoretical concepts of time travel. Uh, the differences between streams, lines, ever-persistent existence, non-existence, um, everything existing at once, uh, you know, chroniton particles. You know, you, you could probably make something else up, but whatever you make up is probably going to fit in the description or in the, in the subcategory for those main, uh, main sources, main foundations. And, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know how... Oh, there's also, like, the, uh, the Schrodinger's cat version of time where... It may exist or it may not exist depending on whether or not you're observing it or depending on the functions of the observer. But it's almost like you're not really dealing with time at that point. You're more or less dealing with quantum mechanics. So, um, yeah, there, uh, 
Uh, and I know, I know, I'm, I'm doing a shorthand for Schrodinger's cat. And I understand that Schrodinger's cat is more about before you observe it. And when you open the box, you know, it may not even be a cat. You know, even if you said that there's a cat in there, if I tell you there's a cat in here, guess whether it's alive or dead, you know, I might be lying. You know, so that moment before you open the box is really what Schrodinger's cat is all about. The moment before you open the box. Uh, the idea with some quantum mechanics is that quantum mechanics imprints uh, what the viewer desires to see or maybe imprints something not based on what they want to see, but just based on the observance factors once it's open, once, once information is placed within the box. Um, then again, it may also be that the box doesn't give a shit what the observer wants. So Schrodinger's cat is about uncertainty, right? Maybe there is an existence of time that is uncertain in its entirety. There's nothing that's certain. Um, usually that's used to explain oracles that they can't see into the future because nothing is certain, even though you have oracles and the fates existing at the same time in the world in Greek mythology. So that's something interesting to explore is how set in stone is, is fate and how much does observance and uncertainty have upon the resulting outcome. So that's something also to play, play around with in regards to time travel. Just make sure you don't break your own rules. Now there's a difference between a writer breaking his or her own rules and characters realizing that their understanding of time is fundamentally flawed. You could have a human scientist explain time and then someone traveling through time says that human scientist was a fucking moron because that is definitely not how time travel works. You could have that type of story too. And those stories are fun. Just make sure you make it clear that the human scientist is fallible or maybe the human scientist is lying, right? And uh, uh, you have variants of time streams, timelines, and whatever, uh, such as time cop, where same matter touches the other same matter and they just kind of implode. Uh, that's interesting. Maybe if it's explained a little bit better, like the frequency of the matter communicating with itself, the atoms, um, although the human body's atoms are completely different by that point, but maybe it's the frequency. Uh, you know, frequency of the object or individual that caused that to happen in Time Cop. Um, you know, explain it though. Explain it. Time Cop doesn't explain it. They just said, accept it. So, you know, sometimes it's okay to just accept something and enjoy the story. You know, I thought it was cool that Time Cop did it that way. And yet, yeah, just uh, ignore the vast majority of those physicists out there, including physics students, because most of them who think that they know everything know absolutely nothing. They're fucking idiots. Uh, <laughs> uh, those people who say that really are. Uh, but then again, some physics, physics students are fun. They can provide a lot of insight. So seek out some a physics student that has imagination and is willing to fuck with physics a little or come up with their own ideas. Don't seek out somebody like Neil deGrasse Tyson. They are not imaginative. <laughs> they, they, they really have problems with anything that is fun. So uh, go out there, have fun. Hope you enjoyed this. Take care.
bye.